Friends, thank you for joining me on what is possibly my most vulnerable podcast I've ever recorded. past four years have been some of the hardest I've ever experienced in my life. Full of doubt, confusion, frustration, sadness, loneliness. I mean, if you have been following along with the podcast over the past few years, uh, you probably have heard me alluding to how hard this has been. And I know that because so many of you have written into me, uh, whether it's through the podcast hotline or on social media, asking me to share that story. It's really only recently that I started to understand what this has to do with you. I want to tell you the story of how I left Lincoln, Nebraska at the age of 18 with the hopes of becoming a professional touring musician, how that journey led me to Minneapolis, playing bigger gigs than I could have ever imagined in arenas all over the world, how at the height of my success just a few years ago, all of that came crashing down around me. It's a conversation with one of my closest friends, Joel Bowers. Just a heads up, it's a conversation that brought me to tears at the end of it. But I feel you deserve to hear it. You need to hear it because although this is my story, uh, if 2020 has taught me anything, it's that when it comes to our lives, whether that's relationships or our careers, there is no such thing as certainty. So join me at my dining room table here in Minneapolis, Minnesota with one of my closest friends, Joel Bowers. I've known him for over a decade. Multi-instrumentalist, guitars, vocals, keys, drums, you name it, he can do it, but none of that crap matters to me right now. Yeah, here's the real reason I chose to have this conversation with Joel. Here's the deal. We so I've known you for years. Yeah. We have our stories and thoughts uh, where when it comes to uh, playing music together, whether it's on stage at a bar downtown Minneapolis playing a show, or it's on stage at a church playing worship music. Our journeys have intertwined, and the reason uh, I invited you to be the person I have this conversation with, 100% comes down to trust. And it comes, and I I said this before we started recording, to me it comes down to dancing and mixology. Johnny Cash once said, you know, there's two parts of me. There's a light side and a dark side. The light side, the positive side, this uplifting side, that's that's the Johnny side. But the Cash side is this dark side of me, this negative, brooding side. Mm. And I feel like everybody has that, but sometimes I feel like I can be pretty extreme. (laughs) Well, I feel, and you know, you're not alone. In that. So uh, maybe we'll have something in here that resonates with the groups of people who are listening, the variety of groups of people who are listening, while like trying to get to a place where we're on a single track in life. This has been our experience. I'm just following my heart the way that I need to. Yes. And that's why I'm so pumped about talking about this is because I think people will be surprised how much this has to do actually more so with fear. Hmm. And taking risks oh, in I can't life. Wait to hear more about that because there, this is a part of looking at things uh, from the lens of curiosity. Means almost learning to view the world metaphorically. And within every conversation, there's the thing we're talking about, but there's the thing behind what we're talking about. And right now, the story that we're talking about 
uh, is my relationship with uh, music. But really my journey over the past couple years is my relationship with fear, taking risks, uh, taking my chips on a roulette board and putting them on myself. Maybe like we could set uh, the stage for um, even what we're talking about as far as like, this whole idea of getting paid to play music in church. Yeah. So maybe you could give us a rundown of the history of art in Christian church. How did we get to here? Why are people getting paid to play bass guitar in a rock band in church? Since about the third century, there's been a marriage between church, art, and commerce. Yeah. In the sense, there's a large amount of art that has been created in the history of mankind because the church has commissioned and paid artists to make that for them, whether that is musical, architectural, or uh, visual. Sarah and I were just, uh, a couple years ago, Cologne, Germany. Okay. And we were at the Cologne Cathedral, which just because of the architecture, walking into it, the way the the lines and the building and the structure were formed, like this, the moment you walked into church, the goal was to make you feel an overwhelming amount of the the great divineness and largeness of God and the smallness of you, of you as a human. Uh, oftentimes people talk about modern church. They'll say things like manipulation comes up. Like, you know, I feel like we're just trying to, uh, they're just trying to manipulate people with music and like you come in there to make people feel something. And to me, I say that is the history of art in the church <laughs> to, that, to take something that is hard to put into words, the divine. Yeah. And to create art in a way that makes you feel something. Yeah. Has always been the goal. Something happened in the early 90s where... A few churches, specifically one in Australia, something called, happened called, called Hillsong Church. Yeah, yeah, let's take that for example because this church had the probably the biggest impact on me in the trajectory of my life yeah. in relationship and music. There was a tr something happened in the 90s where there was a transition to more of a modern sound. All of a sudden you have all these churches in America going, we, we, we like that sound. Yeah. We want those. We're seeing videos of those church services that are happening there. We want that. How can we get it as quickly as possible? Right. And what happened in Minneapolis, at least, is you have these churches that say, well, in our church, we have some musicians that right. are talented that we can have play and volunteer, but there's also these, we have this crazy deep music scene in Minneapolis or the Twin Cities in Minnesota. Yeah. Well, we could just, why don't we just hire, well, some of these people that aren't necessarily part of the church to come in and play it. And they'd be like freelancers. Yep. 
for our church band. There are more mega churches in Minneapolis, St. Paul than anywhere else in the country. And so you can do a variety of things. You can hold down a full-time gig as like a worship leader in one church, but then still have time to go moonlight at another church and play music there for different service times. And at least I don't know of any other music cities in the U.S. where you can make a living just holding down a music job in a church or supplementing your income with that. Churches are competing with one another up here. There are just so many of them and they're they're all realizing that their message needs to have a good soundtrack. And so that was their way of doing it. And there are a lot of Christian colleges around here. Yeah. But churches have done really well over the years. And so they have resources to be able to just hire in a band. Yes. And that's what you and I got to do for a long time. How did you get involved playing music in church here in Minneapolis? I grew up in a very conservative evangelical community and my entire social life revolved around the relationships I had in going to a Pentecostal Assemblies of God church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Every summer, did you go to summer camps a lot when you were a kid? One time. I met my wife there. And really? then that was enough for me. So I, <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I grew up going to I grew up going to summer camp. Yeah, every year this summer, this uh, Pentecostal Assemblies of God church camp. Yeah, in Nebraska, they would bring in a touring worship team that uh, was based out of North Central. So there's this universe, this uh, Assemblies of God school in Minneapolis, and it's this prestigious touring worship team that they put out. And so what happens is you have this uh, school that still exists in downtown Minneapolis. Right. If you were in the mu- if you were studying music there, what would happen is you would audition for it, and if you made it, uh, they would for an entire year. You would uh, get together and you would practice as a band, and you, they would teach you how to write and record your own original worship songs yep. or at least positive uh, message. Uh, uh, Christian music. Yeah. And you'd record an album. You'd record an album in a professional recording studio. Yeah. So it instantly opened up all these opportunities for experiences. And you would record the stu- this album, and then you would leave at the top of the summer, and you would tour across the U.S., and you'd play at different Christian camps all over the U.S. every week uh, leading worship. There and you would play throughout the week at a summer camp, and then that weekend you would play at a church, and then you would travel to another camp, another church, and so it was nonstop. And then the, the neck, the following fall semester of your university, you took off from school. They gave you full credits, they paid you, they put you in a van, and you continued just to play all over the U.S. You're at, representing the school. You're representing the school. So it's this mix of your leading worship at churches, but it's also this admissions 
poll. I went to North Central to be specifically on that, to make it on that touring worship team. That was the goal. And that was the goal. That's the only reason I moved yep. up here. And Minneapolis was perfect. It's located downtown. It was just far enough away where I was uh, away from home and I'm starting something new in Minneapolis. So I moved up here, went to school, ended up doing this one accord thing a couple times in a row. You got in. I got in right off the bat and ended up doing it. And I was, I was fully in. I was a marketing specialist at the end of the day. Yeah. I knew what they were looking for. I knew the things you could say. I knew the things you couldn't say. I knew just, I knew like just how edgy I could be. So from one accord, yeah. it's this pinnacle moment. Yeah. This is the place that I want to be. Uh, and like with most success that is you know, kind of handed to you, mm -hmm. you never decide what the stopping point is. It's just always bigger is better. It's kind of maybe the, the path of least resistance to follow. Yes. And so there are a handful of churches in town here that are like the biggest, 20,000 plus attendants every yeah. weekend. Yeah. Um, and you started playing for them. And the, I mean, there's a, there's so much. I mean, that's a, literally a decade yeah. that goes uh, transpires between then and now where I am. Then I, I end up dropping out of North Central and I go on tour with a very popular uh, Christian worship artist. Okay. Now I've gone from sitting in the back of a, a 15 passenger van traveling the U.S. to now we are flying. Man, you know what is funny? Now that I'm thinking about all this stuff, I used to have this view of music. Like we're talking about, you know, the goal of mu musicians is just always bigger and better. Like we almost right. like view as our musical careers like a business graph, like a red line that's going up and to the right constantly. Hopefully totally. every month and every year that goes by, the gigs are bigger, the money you're getting paid for is bigger. And that is very easy to do. Uh, in the trajectory I was going because yeah. there's always a bigger church that had a budget to pull in the band. Yeah. There's always a bigger Christian artist to do. And I was, I was following that line. And then something happened that wasn't related to the Christian music scene at all. Yeah. With the Owl City thing. Yeah. But it's so tied in like these guys, then all of a sudden I have these friends uh, who are in this band that's uh, almost blew up overnight called Owl City. They have an opening in their band and the same thing as always. I have friends that are in the band that go, hey, this position open, we need a bass player. Uh, do you want to go on tour with us? Yeah. And I was like, well, yeah, let's do that. What is, uh, like, what's the first gig? And they say, well, like, all right, the first gig is we've got a private jet waiting for us in the Minneapolis airport. Uh, and we're going to fly out and play a gig uh, opening for the fray. And then uh, we'll fly back, and then our second gig is we're all flying over to Japan. And the next four years of my life is a whirlwind of all of a sudden having favorite uh, sushi spots in Japan that right. I frequent whenever I'm in Tokyo, and like going over to doing tours in Asia and playing here in the States and doing these tours and stuff. But it all happened the exact same natural, organic way. Through relationships. Through relationships. Yeah. So for me, music has always been this massive relational thing. Yeah. It's only happened because of friendships. 
Uh, and like you and I were talking before we started recording, half the time music is just an excuse to make something with friends. Oh, totally. So was there a progression from you doing music outside of the church to say, hey, I want to make something that's not related to the religious thing Yeah. that um, that then moved you into a place where you're like, hey, I really don't know if I want to play in church anymore at all. I mean, because as as much as you can draw a similarity between playing at church and then playing in a band like Al City, there are distinct differences. So did the Al City experience start something in you that made you go, hey, I, I want to be a part of this thing now? I was splitting my time between uh, being on the road and whenever I was back playing weekend services. Yep. Uh, and Owl City ended for me in a very, and I really haven't talked about that much on the podcast, how it ended in a very unceremonious way. Yeah. I remember I was at, yeah, I, I will, I'll just say this. Oh, is that, is that I think it's fine. Dude, I, I was... We were in between tours, and uh, we were... Do you have any legal stipulations no, that say not you at can't all. talk about this? No, I'm just... I mean, all this is just like relational stuff. I'm just yeah. in the back of my head. Yeah, we were... Man, I, I, we have... The, the only reason I haven't talked about it on the podcast is I just want to be sensitive to other people and not talk... I have a rule where I just... If I've played with you, if you're right. an artist I've played with, I'm not going to speak negatively about past employers. I have... Only gratitude. Yeah. But the way Owl City ended was in is was a very unceremonious, abrupt ending. We were in between tours, and I found myself home with a, a long stretch without any touring gigs. And so the majority of my playing, once again, was at church, specifically Eagle Brook. In, here in town, uh, I was playing with Jasper and Brandurin there, and so we and we so by it was like this. <laughs> so the Owl City band, so the Owl was City playing band at Eagle Brook at Church. Eagle Church. Yeah, and I remember all of a sudden, in I was getting wind of people coming up to me saying, "Hey, you're the music director for Owl City." Like I heard, there's a new drummer for Owl City. <laughs> I I don't make the call on hiring and firing, right? Within this band, like a normal music director might, but. I would have heard otherwise if it wasn't. So, but it kept happening. No, this there's this guy in town that keeps saying, telling everybody that he's the new drummer for Owl City. And so, finally, one day it was after a, a Saturday evening service at Eagle Brook. I picked up the phone. I got his number uh, to this guy. I called him. I said, "Hey, man, this is Rob Morgan. We haven't met before, but Minneapolis is like is a really unique musical town where you can be in circles and have close relationships, but just kind of miss other people and not know some people. So I've heard you've you've been talking. I've heard you've been talking. Like so, there's this confusion here, and I figured, no matter what it is, if if, if it's not true, I'd, at least this is an excuse for me to say hi and introduce myself, make Who's a it, connection, you, make a connection, maybe set the dude straight. He said, yeah, uh, they asked me to be the drummer for Alsey for the next tour. Uh, and there's like a, they have a guitar player. I told them I wouldn't talk about it. <laughs> Though so, you were, bud. Though you were to everybody. <laughs> so he's talking to everybody about it. So anyways, so I was like, okay, that's, that's interesting. All right, well, 
nice to meet you. It was nice. I just kept it polite and well, nice. I mean, you that's the one of the best things about you, Rob, is that you're I mean, you're gonna keep it kind. Well, you're very nice. Yeah, well, so I was like, you know, okay, well, nice to meet you. I guess that clarifies some stuff. I still have no <laughs> idea what the hell's going on. Uh, but it, it was nice to meet you. So uh, that night, it actually was the next morning, I woke up to an email from management saying, hey, I just want to let you know that we're going in a different direction for this next ties. tour. Uh, yeah, we're just going in a different direction just for this go. next tour. And so the entire band was like, oh, um, which for me, it... it there was a lot of frustration and confusion in that. The because mainly because it was it was such a cool dynamic. Like we were all so close and there was no real closure. Has there still not been closure oh, today? No, not really. It's still the same. Well, there's closure as in they've gone on they've gone on and they did another tour. No, I'm saying for for you and others. Oh. No, not really. Not we haven't really talked about that. I mean Interesting. So, this really vague thing. And so now so I that's find a loss. So now all of a sudden I, I go from the biggest, most fulfilling musical experience of my life. And I say fulfilling because it was something where I showed up and they there was never any boundaries. That I, the boundaries I had experienced in music. You need to hold yourself like this. You need to talk like this. You need to look like this. You need to sound like this. People like us look, sound, talk, are like this. And so you're either in or out. That's kind of the vibe with the, the church worship scene right like christian music like you're this is what we are this is our community this is what we look like you either you either fit it or you don't or you don't yeah we'd love you to fit it but if you do one thing that says you don't you're out totally so i joined this owl city thing and all of a sudden i have my friends going do whatever you want like play like whatever musical comes to your mind whatever however you want to approach this gig how whatever you want uh to bring to the table you are just be fully yourself And so now all of a sudden, and there's this something too, this freedom, like, right? Like there's this confusion when you're playing on a major stage with Christian music where you're on stage and there's the same lights that are at a rock concert. There's the same sounds that are at, that are at a rock concert. There's the cameras that are at a major show. There's the crowd singing along with your music. Like everything, there's all these things that are the, that are similar to the Owl City rock thing, tours I've done to modern worship music. Except there's this thing, but you there's like kind of the side eye that goes, well, it's not about us. It's not yeah, the cameras are pointing at us, the lights are on us, this is us thing. We're doing we're doing the rock and roll. I've got like my my rock stances, we're rocking out together, but it's not about us, it's about God. And so there's this there's this psychological disconnect that was happening with me constantly when I was on stage at church. This wow. is the same thing. I could replace the name Jesus with baby. Yeah. And it'd be the same thing. Dude, yeah. And I remember specifically coming back from Fuji Rock in Japan, opening up for the Foo Fighters. And we were uh, it was uh, Motorhead's. Second or third to last show That's on their tour crazy. before Lemmy passed away. Oh, we're playing sing, and I think like Oasis, not Oasis, uh, Liam Gallagher or Noel Gallagher and High Flying Birds were playing the next day with oh us. We're on like this one, to me, the pinnacle. This right, thing. and then I come home and I'm here on uh, a, a days later. I'm back in Minneapolis playing at this mega church. And it all of a sudden I'm looking around and it feels the exact same way, except we're not acknowledging that it feels the same way. 
there's this thing that you get off the stage and we're like, oh, all glory to God, you know, uh, this isn't about us. And, that, and that's when it started. It just felt dishonest. Like, call it what it is. I was just looking around. And I was like, no one, are we, are we seeing the same thing? What, what do you think it is? What, what would be a good articulation of what it, what it is? You, uh, I was listening to science. Have you heard, you know, science Mike? Yeah. I was listening to an interview with him. He, on, uh, the, po- uh, the podcast, you made it weird. Okay. And he, he said this quote I wrote down. He's like, there is healthy and unhealthy fundamentalism. There is healthy and unhealthy atheism. Brain scientists tend to agree that the hallmark of dangerous or destructive beliefs is when the most important thing is that other people believe them too. Wow. And to me, whoa, that's what I found is that we have discovered all the answers. You are welcome here as long as you tow the party line, you talk, you look, you sound like this community. Right. But if you don't, you're out. I think cancel culture is a really trendy thing to talk about right now. But I, I started to see that within my friends and relationships. I, was, I started seeing like uh, in another church in town, like a guy and his fiance got pregnant. And so he was kicked out of the worship team. The, you yeah. no longer, your what's happening in your life no longer fits us, uh, us and what we look like. So we're going to put you on probation. You can no longer play here. Ugh. You can volunteer. We're not going to pay you. We're, you can't be on stage. So you're welcome to still stick around and right. like hang out in the wings. But we're not, you can't be uh, like a, the face of what we're doing. The whole thing of it is dependent on you looking like you have your shit together. You've got the answers. Yeah, and to let me back up on this, I w- when Owl City completely quit, when that all fell out, I would start doing this uh, podcast and it started rolling and I was like, all right, let's see what happens to the podcast. I didn't have a necessarily direction for it. It wasn't this whole uh, defining curiosity thing that it is now. But now over the past like few years, I'm diving in and trying to, def- I find myself trying to define what it means to live a curious life. My, all, all of a sudden I start seeing these core beliefs that I have about curiosity, openness, being willing to ask questions, to uh, dance, to be, to stand firm in your beliefs, but uh, hold those with an open hand and recognize that I don't have all the answers. Other people have different perspectives on this curious endeavor we call life than I do. Yeah. My way is not the best way and it might not even be the right way. Wow. And so for, to me, it was a pure lack of humility and empathy in that culture that I saw. And it's, that started wearing on you. Dude, it started, it, yeah, it started wearing on me is the lightest way I could put it. It started eating me from the inside out mm. where I, and the unique thing about this world of, um, of playing in church, like we're talking about it, that exists right here is that you tie in so many parts of your life to this. Now all of a sudden one gig at a church means now your finance is tied to that, is dependent on that. Your relate your friendships, your creative life, your spiritual life, your any free time you have, you're probably spending it with people from there. You it's it's kind of it becomes this world that well, it's you where exist all, in. It's all your security resides there. Yes. I started realizing how comfortable this world was. I knew the script I needed to say. I knew, knew knew how I needed to sound and what I should how I should hold myself. Yeah. I realized that if 
if I was going to step into the wholeness of who I needed to be and allow myself to be pulled into the fullness of my own self and who I meant like who I meant to become, comfort is the ultimate killer of that. Mm. Comfort is the ultimate killer of creativity. I just feel like it's really easy to look at life as a one direction, like you, like on a compass, like right. you've got to, your job is to find, and this is almost like even find, with your, the, true find your true north yeah. and head that direction. But I started realizing I, sometimes I feel like life is more of a Tarzan situation. Like you're swinging and this vine that you're holding on is supposed to swing you to this. And then at some point you have to let go of that to grab onto oh. the next one. Uh, Rob Bell talks about a defining energy in our life is this open-handed or close-handed energy. Am I like trying to grasp and trying to uh, control yeah. the things I can and just hold on so tight? Or am I being open-handed to the next thing in life and right. grateful for where I am, grateful for the things that happen, but open to the unknown? Yeah. And to me, that is a great definition of the curi- of a curious life, of ex- embracing the unknownness of the future. Man, that illustration is so great because the, there's – it's really important to acknowledge that you're, you're on that vine. Yeah. If you reach the end of that arc Mm -hmm. and start to go back, the physics of it mean that maybe eventually you'll start to return to the other place, that the pendulum will swing back to where you decided to just hold on for dear life anyway. Even if you thought, I'm supposed to let go. And you'll have an opportunity to grab the next thing again. Yeah. Man, so many times in my life, I've felt like I, I ride a vine to that point where I need to let go. I know I need to let go. Like I see the next vine and I need to grab it and just keep moving. Yeah. And oftentimes I just chicken out. Yeah. And then I swing back. Then you swing back. Oh, there's and nothing for me, worse I just, than that. And the, and the swinging backwards, that just leads me into like a depression. That's why yeah. this is so important. This is why I almost don't even want to talk about the theology and the spiritual side of the modern institution of it the church. It doesn't even matter. I don't care. For me, no. it is being, to me, this, my journey is all about the willingness to take risk. Right? Like if you're holding on to your vine for too long and you start going back, whatever that looks like for you in life, I believe for myself, my subconscious, like, and I say subconscious as like my core and the trueness, the truth that is uh, the fullness of Rob, that knows. It's call, it calls bullshit on yourself. Yeah. You know when you're in that place, when you have ridden the wave too long. Or you're, you're holding you're on, or you're coming to the end of it. Yeah. And anytime you're coming, and it's micro. Every, I feel like we have micro seasons in life where we are coming up, and you constantly have the choice. Am I going to let go of this vine and go out into the unknownness of the next thing that's right for me, even though I don't see it right now? Or am I going to just hold on to what I've already figured out and stay stagnant in life? And one of the things for me that happens is I start self-sabotaging. I started seeing myself because mm. I knew I wasn't supposed to be there for whatever reasons. It doesn't even matter what my reasons were. For me, I knew it was time for me to let go of my certainty yeah. and my comfort. And I started seeing myself self-sabotage. Isn't but in way, And like, dude, but I was making, I started like my attitude in the green room. What I started like making, uh, I started being more negative and persnickety, picking, picking, picking at fights. things. Yeah, yeah, picking fights a little bit. Yep. And I started realizing I'm either going to 
move on and do the right thing for me or I'm going to self-sabotage until they someone else kicks me out. And either way, it's yeah. that way is not going to end well. Right. And we've all seen that, right? Yeah. And that's why I think it's so important. Like this whole ri- two things come to mind is one is my definition of risk has changed. Where risk in life, taking chances. And I used to think risk was I think about the the running of the bulls in Spain, where people every year they run from the bulls down this really narrow <laughs> cobblestone street, right? Like well, the, the best traditions, it's like Jim Gaffigan, the best traditions seem like they're made up by a drunk person. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. So I, I got this vision of this, and this is life and comfort and risk and curiosity. Like it, I, I realized if someone was running that, and it's a dangerous run. You're running downhill and you can trip. People are falling and stumbling over themselves. Cobblestone streets. It's really easy to look at that person yeah. and go, why are you running right now? If you just saw the person without the bull behind them, you would see them and go, why are you running? Stand still. You are going to fall. You can hurt yourself. You need to just like stay where you, right now where you're comfortable. If you said that to a person that was running, they would look at you like you're a crazy person. They would say, "This, there's a. do you not see this bull coming behind me? If I stop, that's the most dangerous thing I can do. I'll get gored and trampled by these bulls. And for me, the bull is time Mm -hmm. in life. And time is barreling down. We have this one, we have we are all on this one track of life that is uniquely singular to us. And it is you get a one-way trip through life. And the most dangerous thing is to stand still and stay comfortable and just get on cruise control. Because that bull is barreling down behind you and you don't get a second pass. You get you don't get a second pass through your 30s or your 20s or your teens. This is your chance. This is your shot. So for me, it's like I realized, oh, the real risk is to stand still and just be comfortable in cruise control. Whoa. And also it's like everybody talks about that next door, like doing that next thing, whether it's uh, whatever it is for somebody, that next season of life walking into that. We we often talk about it as like a door to walk through, oh, right? Jesus. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, oftentimes it's like a, it's like a door uh, that closes behind you and another one opens. Or if God closes the door, he opens a window, no, or whatever that is. Yeah. But I started realizing that maybe more of life, maybe the transition between seasons of life more often than not are like that scene in Indiana Jones where he has to take that leap of faith yeah. Like it's really easy to read the biographies of people that are successful or go down the world of um, survivorship bias and like see like, oh man, it worked out in the end for this person. But when you're there in that moment, in the end of Jones, you're standing at the precipice. It is disorienting. Yeah. Nothing every, Nothing else. Nothing else. You don't see. There's right. no guarantee of that. Yeah. And uh, everybody likes to talk about like where his foot lands. And then all of a sudden the camera pans out to the side and you see like, oh, there was the walkway all along. He wasn't yeah. going to fall. He made it. It was an illusion. Oh, thank God. It's an optical illusion. <laughs> but nobody talks about that split second where you're free falling. Yeah. And there's nothing be- nothing on the other side of your foot. And in your mind, you are falling. You're falling to your death. Yeah. And that has been the past two years of my life. N- wow, buddy. I think that I think that sounds super extreme to say. No. I almost tear up saying that because it just is like acknowledging, like, dude, it for whatever reason for me it's purely, I knew it was a place that I was no longer supposed to be in, and that something greater was out there for me, a, wow. a, a place where I could be the fullest sense of who I am. But 
that I, but I also knew that wasn't going to make itself known to me until after I took that step. Wow. Does that make sense? It totally does. So dude, the, and that's why I've been doing the podcast over the past two years, being really intentional about being honest about this, this past two years has been the most embarrassing career two years of my life. Oh. Like we look at all these people that like these people we respect, right? The music. And you go, dude, if someone could see my, the year that I left Eagle Brook, if someone could see my IRS tax receipts and how little I made and how much like Sarah floated this and like the unknownness of us too. Yeah. And so I'm like, this hasn't been easy. Yeah. Oh, I feel that. Dude, I remember. Sorry, dude. Now you're making me cry. Um, there's a story in the Hebrew tradition, Joseph and the coat of many colors, right? And then this story, this guy gets traded into slavery by his brothers. And he goes in, and the whole story is that he goes and he gets traded into slavery, and at some point in his life, he gets put into prison, which is this situation where people go to die. And he spends seven years of his life in there, and through a turn of events, he finds favor with the, the officers of the jail, and they bring him out to the king, and the king finds favor in him, and he ends up ruling the nation. And every, it's the story that everybody, whenever anybody told the story growing up, I would always hear it. I always found myself like really confused because everybody put focus on the end. Like things are going to work out in the end. But I remember being younger and thinking like year five, year six, do you think you're going to die in there? It's a lifetime. For it's me. a lifetime. And so that's really why I want to share. I wanted to share this story now with you. I've seen that the biggest, whatever success means to you, for whoever it is, whether it's like you're hoping for that relationship, that that gig, that job, whatever it is, it can happen overnight. And then once it happens, it's easy to be like, oh, it's great. When you're in it and you're successful, it's easy to be, it's easy to be like, oh, look, I was always coming here the whole time. And easy to have like the survivorship bias and right. look at the people who had made it. Nobody, I don't, nobody, nobody really talk. talks. No one speaks up when they're in the middle of the yeah. unknown. Yeah. Nobody shares their story when they're like, I know for whatever reason it was, for me, it was the right thing to turn all that stuff down. I knew I was supposed to do this and take this risk. Mm. I'm still in it. And I still believe it. But no one talks about how hard it is when no. you don't see the end. You know, they don't. And then and it's easy because like, dude, I share stuff. I share stuff with the podcast. It's so easy for me to share on social media, like my wins, like the big successes I've had in life. Because of that, it's really easy for me for the conversations with people, right? Like if I envision, we're going down this Tarzan analogy. Yeah. Like you reach out, you get your peak, and then you reach out, you grab the other vine, you have a firm grasp on it, and then you swing on that and you take the next trajectory. But oftentimes I'm finding, even in conversations with other people, on this podcast or in just in life studying other people, it's like, that's just not how it works. More often than not, you have to let go of your comfort where you're at right now and take that chance. That conf the confusion, the pain, the frustration, um, the second guessing, the sorrow, sorrow, it's not a glitch in the matrix. This is how mm -hmm. things work. This isn't like, that's the saddest part about it is if you are like, is the feeling of just aloneness 
and thinking, oh, maybe I was wrong. Maybe I like, I felt like this was the right thing. I made the right decision for all the right choices I thought. Yeah. But that thing I thought, the next vine I thought was there, it's taking a lot longer than I thought. Um, this dead space between yeah. old vine and grabbing the new oh, one. Dude, yes. Is a lot more prolonged than I was expecting. Yeah, yeah. And that is like... Wow, Rob. And so that's but why... it's and, happening and it's happen- now. You're in it. You're in it. So yeah. that's, why, so that's why I want to have these conversations and keep... That's why I feel compelled to... Tell the story. Tell the story and keep doing the podcast and having conversations with people because I feel like this is, yeah, this isn't a glitch in the matrix. This is how it works. And my, I mean, when I quit, when I quit church stuff and I turned it all down in my mind, I was like, this is, I was convinced that it's the end of my music career. Mm. Like that was it. Cause you know, we like, we were talking like last week, all my friendships, the relationships I'd built over the years were all in this world. So yeah. And what happens when you when you decide to like walk away from that? Yeah, not walk away from them, but the construct that was kind of yeah, holding yeah. holding everything together. Yeah. So I don't know. It's I, difficult to exaggerate how painful that is. Yeah. Another thing for I think it's easy for someone to look at this to my my story from the outside and say because of the six like the experiences I've had with Owl City, right? It's easy to look at that and go, oh, it's be- oh, you think you're better than this. Oh, you think like you had a bigger gig and now you have the confidence to like you're above having to play at church anymore. Mm. But it's not it. It's about the it's about realizing there's no such thing as certainty. There's not. And I think in that world that I was in was founded on we're gonna hold on. This works right now, and we're certain of this. We're gonna hold on super tight. Yeah. Don't ask any questions. Don't upset anybody. Please do not pay attention to the man behind the curtain. Yeah. And I just knew there had to be. There has to be something more. Wow. That one little. That one. That was. <laughs> I just feel lucky to be in the room with you. And I see that this this being valuable for a lot of people, especially now during COVID, everybody's been forced into uncertainty to a large degree. It doesn't matter what industry you work in. There's a lot of uncertainty right now. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know? And so that, I mean, I think that's really important for people to hear. And it's not trite. It's not like a, don't worry, opportunity will knock on your door. It's a, no, this sucks. It's really hard. Totally. If you could see my tax returns, if you could uh, experience the the sleepless nights that I have, yeah. if you could see how, like, in my darkest moments, I I'll just reach for something that'll help me forget oh, yeah. what I'm going through. Yeah. If you could see the look on my kids' faces when they catch their dad crying in the kitchen because he doesn't know if he's employable. Yeah. You know, because I might have sabotaged myself enough that I'm just not employable anymore. Yeah. You know, that that's a real thing that people are facing right now. Yeah. And I mean, you're giving voice to that. Yeah. And I don't it's it's such a tricky thing. That's why this is a conversation I only wanted to have with you is because, man, it's it's so it's so weird to have this conversation without answers. Right. 
like if I'm listening to a, a podcast or I'm listening to things, I'm, re- I'm reading a biography or whatever it is, like I want, like, and then, and then here's the walk away and the advice nope. from it. It's yeah. like, but that's not, that's not how life works. That's not real life. That's not real life. And it's like you, it's so easy. Dude, I am such an addict for self-help stuff, whether it's like a self-help book or reading, like, like trying to learn from other people I just constantly listening to it's not to, a bad thing though no 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 it, it's not like listen like listening to interviews with people or uh, whatever it is it's just so easy to look at we go to the people that have the lives we want right <laughs> yeah but it's but we we but rarely does anybody talk about those the, those the dark times and how like let's sit in that for a second like well, yeah. I did not know like it's easy now to think about being successful and I still in my mind like I I hold to this hope that like it's gonna work out I, yeah I just hold on I still hold on to hope yeah. with it but it's no one talks about the um the embarrassment that comes from these decision making things mm-hmm. you know what I mean sheer humiliation oh my gosh like this yeah the the times when you are like like what happens when you're wife is going to work and then you are staying staying home. home yeah you know no one talks about like they like the even not even just social embarrassment but like the dynamics between that so yeah um there's the identity piece too yeah you can't you can't do you can't have a story like yours yeah. and not derive a deep sense of identity yeah from what you do yeah this is like the dark dude. I don't know if I told you about my Oscar, my Oscar uh, situation this last year. What it was, I can't remember. If it was this year, the one before Oscar the Grouch or Oscar the, the award, Oscar, the award ceremony. Okay, <laughs> I, I am constantly an Oscar the Grouch on a regular basis. But uh, I remember, dude. I remember I'd made this decision, and I was made uh, just nothing on the horizon career wise for me. And I remember I was watching the Oscars. I was watching the specific artist, uh, the specific actor, uh, thank his wife. And in his speech, he said, so many, so many years ago, we were, we had no money in our bank account. And like, we were living in our apartments and like, we didn't know where our next paycheck was coming from. And it was those dark moments that you were with me. And it was like, he was like this, I dedicate this to my wife. And and you know, like any of those Oscar speeches, like people sharing like their, those those dark times, yeah. the dark night of the soul, and I realized it hit me. I'm like, oh shit! Like I'm in the middle of my Oscar speech. <laughs> like I right now am in the middle. You're of writing my, your Oscar speech right now. Yeah. I'm in that speech where someone, the grand, whatever it is. Like I remember back in the day. Like I, in the, I remember I was sitting outside my car listening to it. I remember having to go inside, and I was like, I'm going inside to my wife, who's the only reason why. We have a roof over our heads right now. Oh, it's because of her stability with her work. And like this is, I'm in the middle of this. So the other thing I want to say too is, the other temptation is, for me at least, is whether it's social media or publicly, we we compare our behind the scenes with other people's highlight reels, right? Yeah. So we feel tempted to only share highlight reels or we think to ourselves, well... Maybe I should wait. Maybe I, I've had the thoughts of like, maybe I should put the podcast on hold till I'm more stable and more of a positive place and I'm more successful. Then I will be have it together and have something more to say. 
But as vague as it sounds, it's almost like the reason that keeps me going and the reason it keeps me hitting record and having these conversations with people yeah. is that to have like an archive of being like, I'm in the middle of it. Like, this is what it looks like for being on the middle. These are yeah. like, this is how I'm wrestling with these, the questions I have. Uh, I'm not going to just breeze over this. No. And just talk, we'll talk about it once it's over and oh, thank God it's over. And I'm like mm. on the next stage of my life or whatever gig that looks like. All that to say, I don't. Re- I have no like answers right now, other than our big thing right now with Sarah and I is like there, our mantra is there are no flyover days. Like there are, you know, there's the flyover states. People talk about you flying to New York to uh, L.A. Yeah, of all the flyover states, did they get there? We are like I feel like sometimes we look at life as that. Like we have the big moments in life, and the other days are like our flyover days. Yeah, and those just get. That's not true. And yeah, but there isn't. This is this is it. Like there's yeah. no. There's no glitch in the matrix. It's all part of it. The confusion, the sadness, the darkness, the questioning, the wrestling with it, the unknownness of it. I'm full of shit too. Cause I want to get over this as far as possible. I want to be like, maybe the point isn't to get over this, but like it is like in the middle of it too. Maybe it's like learning to dance with that. Maybe this, I mean, this is life like, like this pain, this actually makes us more grounded in what it means to be human. I don't know if that makes sense. It does. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe this is where we'll end it. We can talk more, whatever. I, uh, I, was, I was, we were driving back from Iowa this weekend. And I was talking to Sarah, like, why am I doing this with Joel? Like, I don't really have a point. I have no interest in, like, I don't want this to come across as can, trying to convince people to not play at church no. or get paid or anything like that because yeah. I am, I genuinely feel so grateful for all everything yeah. that's happened there's, in my life. There's a lot to feel grateful for. There is. And the role that, churches have played totally and in in your life as a musician yeah. yes i but i think the reason the reason i share this and the reason i'm like open about it is that maybe if there's somebody if there's one person that was listening and they feel like they're in a community or in a place where um it looks like everybody else has all the answers maybe i just i don't know if there's love so i would love someone if they feel alone or nervous about taking that next step, whatever it is, to have the confidence to be like, yeah, I don't have to have all the, all the answers aren't going to show themselves maybe until you take that step. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Dude, your, your transparency and authenticity and just letting me see you, Mm. letting us see you in this moment has been a true gift. Mm. Thanks for saying that. Really? I'm just so grateful for you. And um, seriously, there's nobody I'd rather have this conversation with. We're ending this. I have zero answers. Right. Other than if there's one thing I do know is that this is how it works. Yeah. There's all the easy answer bullshit. Yeah. Which I have none of them. But I just want to be in the permission, uh, the business of permission. Yeah. You know? I mean, uh, another lesson from this is just not, not to move through things in a linear way. Yeah. Like just to be in touch with where you've been, not just where you're going, is super important. <laughs> Dude, that's that is probably one of the biggest lies I think that I've told myself in life yeah. is the thought that life is linear or binary even. That it's not black ones or and white, zeros. it's not ones and zeros. Yeah. It's not start here, end here. Um I mean, I heard it recently once that like sometimes you have to climb up three fourths of a mountain to realize that you're on the wrong mountain. 
So you see like, oh, actually where I want to be is over here and right. you have to climb back down and, yeah. go to very, and restart over. And maybe life is more like surfing. Dude, like you just, yeah. Maybe the point is, the point is you, you paddle out and you catch a wave and it dumps you back where you are. And that's not how, that's not the system broken, but that's how surfing works. And then you paddle out again, you it catch is. another wave. And man, so much of how the world is geared now and what we talk about and what we view as success does not acknowledge that. Yeah. This is Rob with just a quick note before you head off into your week. I just wanted to say a huge thank you, a massive thank you to any of you that have rated, commented, or subscribed to this podcast on iTunes. Also, thank you to those of you that have reached out to me and shared your stories of how these interviews or some of these conversations have impacted you, have inspired you. Man, that has been so awesome to hear. If you have a story you'd like to share with me, head over to thecuriouspod.com slash contact, and I'd love to hear your stories or any just questions you may have for me. Hey, while you're over there, if you want to check out show notes for this or any of the other interviews I've done or contact info for this guest or any of the others, head over to thecuriouspod.com for any of that. And also, I'm really pumped about this. We have a map right there on the front of the website that shows all the locations that these interviews and conversations have taken place. If you've heard something you like and you want to go check it out for yourself, that's right there. Or you can just check it out at thecuriouspod.com slash map or just right there on the front of the website. I'll show. I'll show. <laughs> also, if you want to reach out to me on social media or follow me anywhere, pretty much everything online is the Rob Morgan at the Rob Morgan, whatever. You, you, you know the drill. All right, enough of that nonsense. All this podcasting has made me thirsty. You know, <laughs> I am so pumped that I do not have to deal with sponsors for this podcast, or else I'd have to tell you, podcasting makes me thirsty, and nothing quenches a podcast thirst, whether you're listening, uh, interviewing, editing, recording, listening to something unrelated to a podcast. Nothing quenches a thirst like a Guinness. Hey, Hofi, can I steal you for a second? Do you have anything you want to say about Guinness? I'd like to take a minute to thank Guinness because it truly is made of more. That's all. All right. That's it. Thanks. <laughs>
Uh, I love that crap. All right. Have a great week. See you next Tuesday. Anything else? Say the most random thing you can think of. No. Yell it. I got nothing. The only word I can think of is formaldehyde. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> <laughs>